On May 25th, 2020, George Floyd died after a police officer pinned him to the ground with his knee on his neck while Floyd was handcuffed. On video, Floyd can be heard begging for the police officer to take his knee off his neck because he couldn't breathe. For nearly nine minutes, long after Floyd became unconscious, the officer kneeled on his neck while four officers stood by. An ambulance was called. Paramedics worked to revive Floyd on the way to the hospital, but he was already dead. The episode you're about to hear is a rebroadcast of a very important midweek Bible study I was able to participate in at my local church. It was a discussion on racism and the church and what the church's response should be to this mass cultural sin of racism and prejudice. It's hosted by my father, Pastor Michael Shaw, and we had our good friend, Pastor Kelvin Shaw from Stittsville, Ontario, be a part of this panel as well. And here we discuss racism in Canada and discover that racism is not a uniquely American issue, as often the media myth is, but it is a, it's a human heart and human sinfulness issue. We also delve into some uncomfortable topics like why do white people get so defensive when the topic of racism is brought up and how we, who are white, who are part of the church, need to move past our defensiveness and into a biblical mindset. Why are you having this discussion, Adam? Well, I'm I'm having this discussion because this podcast is called The Restorationist, and it's about thinking and acting believing like we are first century apostolics living in a 21st century world. I hope you enjoy this episode of The Restorationist. Canada also has its own past with racism. You may not know this, but the abolition of slavery, which means owning people as property, ended in 1834 in all the British colonies, including Canada. However, however, segregation of black people was supported for many years following that abolition. For example, until 1870, black people could not take an oath to gain the status of a free man. They were prohibited from practicing a trade or selling goods in the city. They were barred from fishing in the St. John Harbor in New Brunswick and could not live within the city limits until they were employed, unless they were employed as a servant or a laborer. You say that was in the 1800s. That's a long time ago. Well, let me give you something else. In Sarnia, Ontario, just down the highway, In 1946, property deeds for a Lake Huron community of approximately 100 cottages lots specified that the property could only be owned by whites of a particular background. There are also examples of blacks being routinely turned away when seeking rental accommodations based on their race. I could go on and on, but... I don't think many of us understand or know about Canada's own history with racism. In education, children were segregated. Blacks and whites had to go to different schools in Ontario. When the community was too small to have different schools, they had to go to different classes. And when they were in a one-room schoolhouse, blacks and whites had to sit on different benches. Blacks and whites could not appear in the same school photos. In some cases, in small communities, black children were not permitted to go to school at all. The last, listen to this, the last racially segregated school in Ontario was in uh, Section 11, and it was closed in 1965. You say, where is Section 11? It's in Colchester, which is just outside of Leamington, Ontario. The last racially segregated school in Nova Scotia was closed in 1983. What year were you born? That was the next, that was the thing I was going to break in and say, Pastor. 
I was born in 1984. So one year before Adam was born, the last segregated school was closed in New Brunswick in 1983. Now, Ontario and Nova Scotia were the only provinces that had segregated schools, but it was a common practice in Alberta, Saskatchewan, New Brunswick, and Prince Edward Island. Prince Edward Island. It wasn't a part of law, but it was practiced, and blacks were intimidated to go to different schools or to start their own school. The reason I'm bringing this up is I, I think it's important. Before we point at the United States, for us to understand that Canada has its own checkered past with racism. Now, you might be asking, Pastor, are, are you trying to make us feel like we're racist? And, and I, I don't believe that's true. We're not here to make anyone feel guilty that somehow that we need to feel guilty about being racist if we're not racist. But I do think that it's really important that we have a discussion so that we can have an awareness of the experience of some other people. Maybe if you're white and you're part of the majority, you have not had the same experiences as other people. And so we may not, as white people, we may not be able to have an understanding or an appreciation or empathy for people who have lived a different experience because they are a different color or they come from a different culture or language group. And so tonight we're having a discussion. We're, we're opening up a discussion so that we can have a little bit of an awareness that our eyes can be opened to the experiences of other people. Jesus said just before he flipped over tables or just after, he said to the Jews that my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. I believe that's what the church is. The church has to be a place for all nations. It's not a white church. It's not a black church. It's not a Hispanic church. Maybe we uh, sometimes have to have different churches based on language because people can't speak the language uh, that's being uh, uh, of, of the majority or the language coming over the pulpit. But we should never be segregated based on our color or we should never be segregated based on our culture. Amen. Because the church is a, a house for all nations. In Jesus Christ, we're all brothers and sisters. Our blood is all red. And the blood that covers us and the name that's on us is the name Amen. of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ. In the mind of Jesus, there's one race the human race, and he died on the cross for every one of us, no matter who we are and where we come from. And so we're having a discussion, and we're, we're, we're making sure that we understand that, that our doors are open, our leadership is open, our pulpit is open for people from all different cultures in all different languages and all different colors. There's a, a Sunday school song that uh, I don't know if they sang it here in this church, but when I was in the Baptist church, they sang it. And I'm sure they sang it here at our church. And that is, Jesus loves the little children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. I believe that tonight. And I want to make sure that LifePoint Church is a church where no matter where you come from, no matter what color your skin is or what language you speak or what culture you, you, have, uh, you have become, you, have, you were born in, that you are welcome in this church. And I believe the United Pentecostal Church is striving to be that kind of church in North America. And uh, I, I, I believe that that is the will and the desire of every one of you that are in our audience and, uh, and so we're going to talk about racism. We're going to talk about the church. And I'm going to ask Adam tonight uh, to give us some of his thoughts. Where does racism come from? How, how do people become racist? How do, be, how do they become prejudiced toward people because of their skin color or their culture? Where does that come from? 
That's, I think, um, a really great question. And I also think it is a, it's a simple question to answer. And that is, um, we learn it. Our culture or family background, um, it's, it's a learned behavior. Racism is a learned behavior. It's amazing to me when uh, I see parents that follow Jesus and their families follow after the Lord and they believe that God has come for everybody and that we are to love God and we are to love others because on those two commandments hang all of the law and all of the prophets that their children seem to want to be friends with everybody and they don't judge or discriminate on the basis of color. Now, what's amazing about that is if Racism is a learned behavior. We learn it from someone. We, we see patterns um, acted out upon, and we mimic and imitate those patterns, or we're taught certain ways of thinking, and then we mimic and imitate those ways of thinking. Is that if it's an unlearned behavior, or if it's a learned behavior, we can unlearn it. That's what's so incredible, is that just like we can unlearn bad things in our heart when we come to the Lord and we're filled with the Holy Ghost. We can, by the power of the Spirit, um, unlearn racial and, and, and prejudice kind of tendencies. And so I believe that racism comes uh, from learned behavior, and there's something about it that seems to sink its roots into our heart because we're sinners and we're sinful. Amen. And there's something about the sin of hating your brother or the power that you feel from treating another human being as less than you that is addictive in our culture and across all cultures there's something addictive about the rush of power that hatred and discrimination brings but because it's a learned behavior because it's something we mimic and because it's rooted in sin hopefully through this conversation we're having tonight and through the continued conversations we're having in the church, we can unlearn dysfunctional ways of thinking. And we can, through the power of the Holy Spirit, become a more diverse, more inclusive church that sees or has no prejudice or no racism in, it, in its heart. And, and we're getting ready to have a, a discussion now. We're going to invite our guest uh, to come on in. And uh, he's a very, very good friend of mine. And uh, and and we've been we've known one another our our whole life, and uh, but over the past seven years, uh, we have become very close friends working together in Ontario Youth. We have with us. We're very honored to have the associate pastor of uh, Stittsville United Pentecostal Church (SUPC) with us here tonight uh, to contribute his thoughts and and discussion on this really important subject. And so, uh, Pastor Kelvin, it's so awesome to have you here. Um, thank you very much for being a part. And I think the the most the the first thing that we need to do is um, we need you to tell us a little bit about yourself. So before we jump into our discussion on racism here from the foundation that Pastor laid, welcome. And could you tell us a little bit about yourself? What's your story, your spiritual history, ministry involvement, family, anything like that? So we get a chance to know you before we jump into the discussion. Pastor Kelvin. Well, I'll just say thank you for inviting me to this conversation. Uh, Pastor Shaw said it, that we have the same last name. We might not have the same mother, but we do share the same father uh, in Jesus Christ. And uh, it's so excited to be with all of the Life Point Church family. You guys have uh, been connected with you for quite some time. And like Brother Ad Pastor Adam said, we've been friends for a long time, but especially over the last seven years in Ontario youth. And uh even beyond that, we, our kids grew up together as well. So greet you all in Jesus' name. Uh, a little bit about myself. I am actually uh, Canadian. I was born in Canada. Uh, my father is actually African from Malawi. And my mom is uh, Jamaican. And they both migrated to Canada in their early 20s, met here. And uh, then I came uh, along with my brother and my sister. I'm also married uh, to uh, my beautiful wife, Simone Shaw, who is uh, also uh, born and raised in Ottawa, but her family is Jamaican. In fact, a lot of her family or some of her family has history in 
the Apostolic Church in Jamaica, the Wildman Street Church. Um, some of her families like bishops and deacons there. So she's had a long history in the church as well. And we have three kids uh, under nine. Micah is nine. Caleb, uh, who is Judah's, uh, Shaw's uh, best friend, closest friend, uh, six. And then my uh, princess, Mariah, who is three. Uh, in terms of uh, uh, how I got into the church, um, I'll say this with a bit of candor, but also um, I started coming to church as a Sunday school kid. Um, a, a, a white man from Ohio used to go to neighborhoods. Uh, <laughs> his name is, <laughs> uh, in the context of our discussion, uh, Pastor Alonzo Dummett used to drive into all the neighborhoods and picking up all the kids and uh, when my parents first came to Canada and they got married and had kids, most uh, uh, immigrants start in humble beginnings. And he would go to all these neighborhoods, pick up all these kids and bring them to Stittsville uh, United Pentecostal Church. So at the age of five, uh, he started picking us up. And my sister was three. And uh, my mom started going to the church because she wondered why this man from Ohio would pick up all these kids of all different ethnicities uh, in the neighborhood and bring them to this place called Stittsville. It was uh, in the suburbs. So after that, a lot of my family came to the Lord and I grew up in the church. I now have the honor to serve uh, with, alongside Pastor Dwayne McCarty, who I'm sure you all know well. He's very, very close friends with uh, Pastor Mike Shaw. And uh, he's just been amazing. I also had an opportunity to serve also in Ontario Youth. Uh, nationally, I'm the Hyphen Canadian Regional Director for Hyphen and just been able to be involved in so many different areas of ministry uh, in the local church, in the district, and also in our organization uh, globally. So it is an honor to be here, and it's uh, that's a little bit about myself. You know, we're so so pumped to have you here. It's great great to have uh, your thoughts, and uh, and then obviously your ministry experience uh, and your unique spiritual history to bring to. This discussion. And so, Calvin, the first question we're going to bring up, and with all of these questions, um, they're, they may be directed at a particular individual, they may be directed to everyone, but if they're directed to an individual, um, you know, obviously we'll have that individual answer first, but the rest of us can kind of uh, jump in. But, Calvin, this question is first directed towards you. That is, many times people think of racism, in particular against black people, as an American problem, but as Pastor has illustrated, even as recent as the 1960s, the 70s, and the 80s, that's not the case here in Canada. And I think one of the things that is is very profound to help people see that this is not just a a problem that hits headlines is when they hear the stories of of people that they know they have seen for years in, in ministry and in leadership like yourself, and they hear of their personal kind of stories. Have you experienced racism and discrimination uh, or your family or children? And have you experienced this in the world? And have you experienced this in the church? I know it's kind of three questions at once, but I want people to really put a face and family, because many people know your kids that, that are watching here tonight. They know they know Simone, um, and and so let's let's personalize the abstract idea here. Have you experienced discrimination and racism? Has your children experienced it? And has this happened not just in the world but also in the church? And you, know, you share as much as you feel you want to share. Excellent. Well, I'll start out by saying, I'm, and the context is I'm going to share my experience by no means at all. In any part of my discussion, and I'm, am I speaking for the Black community? Can I speak for all people? However, I do know that I've uh, spoken to enough people that, uh, unfortunately, uh, in the Black community, we, many, uh, I don't know anybody, put it this way, I don't know anybody that hasn't experienced uh, uh, either racism, discrimination, prejudice, or ignorance um, in all facets of society. Uh, so, to answer that uh, in one word, yes, however, or not however, but to give you a few examples, I would see it in, in all aspects uh, of, of life, unfortunately. To be honest, if, if I were to really look at it, I've probably forgotten more things than I can remember. 
it's only when I have conversations is where I start uh, recounting. Lately, with all the stuff happening, knowing that people are going to ask me questions, I've been writing some things down just of, of, uh, from memory. But my first experience with racism, I was in grade six, um, where I was coming from recess and uh, we were going inside and we used to, at that time, uh, young kids, whoever was the fastest in the school was like the coolest kid in the school. So the second the recess bell would uh, start, you would all line up and you would run to the door to try to see who gets in line first. And uh, I was usually the second or third fastest in the school. So I was pretty popular in grade six. And uh, I remember beating this one guy, I won't call his name just in case uh, the Lord wants to save him. And he's on watching this somehow. But uh, he, when I beat him, I was just gloating a bit to him. And I was like, hey, I beat you great. <laughs> and uh, he called, he threw out a racial slur to me. You are, uh, and he called me an N-word. And uh, then he started calling me a blackie. And uh, at that point, I, I remember I was so confused. Um, and I would say anytime you feel overt racism, you, it's, it's a shock um, to where you're almost speechless. Um, I, I probably reacted in the wrong way. I, I remember I punched him in the mouth. <laughs> probably not the best thing to do. And uh, and when I, we went to the principal's office, I didn't even really, I wouldn't say I wouldn't have known, but I, I just, they were mad at me initially until I told them what he said to me. And then the whole room switched. And I remember him writing lines uh, in, in detention on the chalkboard. So that was my first experience. Unfortunately, I over the years, um, many experiences like that, overt, and uh, I would also call it covert, covert meaning times when you go into a store um, and people are looking at you differently. Or when I was younger, especially driving, getting my license for the first time, driving and uh, either getting uh, pulled over or uh, profiled or picked out of a crowd. Um, the thing that's probably hurt me the most uh, in the more recent years uh, with my kids, because, uh, you know, every generation uh, you want to get better and you don't want your kids to experience the things that you experience and the things that your parents experience, et cetera. Um, and um, I remember two incidences once when um, my kids were in school, Micah, my nine-year-old, somebody said something racial to him that he was bad because he was black and he came home crying. And I had to explain to him uh, that uh, there's nothing wrong with him um, and he, he's okay. And people say silly things, but there's, there's um, he's a child of God. That's probably one of the tougher conversations I've had. Um, and then even my wife's experience uh, last week, <laughs> And I, I don't, I don't want to go too far with this, but last week she was going for a walk in our neighborhood. And if, uh, we live in a suburban neighborhood, nice area, Instantsville. Her and her friend were um, uh, standing outside after their walk is about nine o'clock, eight thirty, nine o'clock. And a, a guy came out of side of his house. They were standing on the corner of the street talking underneath the light. And he came and he had a dog with him, and the dog was on the leash, and he was holding the dog back from barking at them. Stared at them, didn't say anything for five minutes. And after he recognized that uh, uh, they weren't moving or they weren't doing anything, then he just walked back in the house. He didn't take the dog for the walk. The dog didn't go to the washroom. He literally had the dog on a leash uh, barking at them in an attack mode. Um, so that I would call that maybe uh, covert racism uh, in the sense that you kind of know and you sense there's so many different stories. You, you sense these things. And unfortunately, um, sometimes these happen um, in all aspects, all places of life, including um, church environments. So um, that's kind of some of my experiences. I don't know if you want me to go deeper, but um, that's kind well, of my I, thoughts. I, I, let's, let's chat about the church thing for a moment, um, and, and let's move, you know, covert, overt racism in, in the church, your experiences with that, as well as um, ignorance and a lack of sensitivity. Uh, one of the things as as Christians that we are supposed to do by the Lord is is we are we are to love and uh, we are um, we are to show honor and uh, I think there may be lots of people here that would that would be appalled that 
you know, walking around in your own neighborhood that a guy would bring a, a big dog out of his house, put it in attack mode and have it bark at, uh, at your wife, uh, who yeah, is our sister in the Lord. And that would be, that would be something that would, that would not, that would, that would blow their mind. They, they think it was awful. But I think that there are, at times, um, in the church, it, there may be covert and overt racism. And, you know, we can talk about what that looks like. But I also think that there's ignorance and a lack of sensitivity. And so help us understand. And, and that's, that's why you're on this, this call. We didn't want Pastor and I just to sit up here and talk about the obvious things, but if we're to grow together in unity and we are to become a truly multicultural, multi-ethnic church that reaches everyone in the city of Hamilton, we have to be aware. And so what are um, some things in the church that can happen that should not happen? And, and what are some insensitivities? Uh, what does insensitivities and ignorance look like? Right. One thing I will say, um, and again, I appreciate being on this discussion and having a, um, a chat about this, is the intention. I want people to know, you guys know me, but those that watch, I want people to know that the only reason why I think we should talk about this is just to highlight it. Uh, ignorance is, a, is literally something where you might not be aware, people might not be aware of things. So any example that I give, uh, it's only for an education standpoint. Uh, I'm for the church for the unity and I know this this topic right now is currently dominating our day uh, but it is an important topic and one thing I've kept, sometimes I've kept silent about things that have been said uh, that I probably in my mistake probably should have said something to the individual because many times I would call them uh, cultural or racial insensitivities things that are said are, are done or done not out of racism, not out of being them being prejudiced, but just things that might come off as a joke or might come off as uh, uh, something endearing. And from my perspective, just being uh, uh, in the world and experiencing so many things, you don't, it's, it's hard for me to reconcile those things in the church. So I would say uh, just think some things that potentially are problematic for me or that I would call them a, a lack of sensitivity is just generalizing. Um, I, Martin Luther King, one of his greatest quotes is he doesn't, he didn't want his children to be judged by the color of their skin, but by the context um, of their character. And um, I, I want to subscribe to that. That's what I, when I do anything, I want people to know me based on my character, based on who I am and not judge me by my skin. So generalizing things like, uh, and this is not specific to, uh, this is just things that you hear in church events. Um, when comments are said about uh, the black community that are generalizing, or uh, here, here's one specific um, that I've heard. Somebody's preaching really good, or maybe a white pastor preaching really well, and uh, the, the, the spirit hits them. And he says, oh, I'm starting to feel the black spirit come on me and um, in their preaching style. And, and for me, it's a bit problematic because um, I, I was just listening and hearing just a, a, a man of God preaching the word of God. I wasn't defining him by uh, a style. Uh, I thought the word was anointed and the, not the style was anointed and just things like that again. Would I call that racist? No, uh, but uh, insensitive um, from my perspective, yes. Or I give an example before we've talked about this, but whenever I, I've been in a church service and a white minister uh, pastor is explaining a story about reaching a different community and uh, uh, saying, hey, I, I witnessed to a person. Or might, sometimes I'm not even talking about it in the context of reaching a different community, just saying, I've, I'm reaching this person. I went to the Walmart. I started speaking to this person and they would have to point out. And he was a, a, a big old black man that I witnessed to. And he came to the Lord and it was awesome. And in my mind, I wonder um, if, would you describe if it was a big white man, would you say that? Why? And then if you are, if I don't believe you would say that, why are you pointing out what's the significance of uh, saying that he's a black man? What, how is that benefiting the story? How is that helping the story? So things like that, I would say, 
and I, I can go on and on with lists. I, I'm sure everybody has, uh, many people have their own sensitivities, but just conversations where uh, the minority in the room is not um, um, uh, being connected to with through their words. I think that's a that's a great point to point out, um, and that is one of the ways that we can be insensitive. And, and not is when we don't treat people like they truly are individuals. And so we look at everybody that looks like us, you know, let's use me, for example, an insensitivity to help make this, you know, uh, uh, very applicable to, you know, the people in our church. It's it's I'm white and I treat every other white person as an individual, but I group people of other cultures as as a collective or as an other so i see you know we've got because we're under five here in the room i see my dad i see at the back you can't see me he's on camera uh run of the camera matt ansley and jordan ansley but i don't see mike shaw and the ansley brothers as a collective of all white people i see them as very unique individuals right. what would be insensitive is then what I would do is if this, their skin color was different than mine, group all of those people together as, as a collective or as an other and not as truly individuals. And I think that's, that was the point you were trying to make that Martin Luther King said. is like, I want my children to be judged on the content of my character. I want them to be seen and known for who they are as people, not known exclusively by the color of their skin. Now, the color of your skin or your ethnicity or your language, that's not something that should ever be diminished in anybody. It's because part of who you are, but it's not all that you are. And I think that's the greatest thing we could do as a church, and that is when we look at other people that are a different color than us or a different culture than us. We don't group them all as a, as a clump, but we do our best to build relationships so that we right. can see people as individuals uniquely made in the image of God with distinct and a special gift. Does that make sense, Pastor? Do you have any thoughts to add? Yeah, I, I think there shouldn't be walls up between us um, based on color or on culture. Um, even walls between us when it comes to relationships, Um if my daughter, she's not, she's married now and, and has wonderful kids, but if she didn't marry Dan Phillips, but she was uh, interested in a young black man in the church, how would I deal with that? Would that bother me? And, and I can personally tell you that it would not bother me at all. I would have absolutely no problem because we're in the kingdom of God together. We're in God's family together. That is that is a child of God, and she is a daughter of God, and there should be no uh, no barriers up between us. And, and I realize that that is a problem to some generations, maybe in the past more so than now, but um, making differences between people. And, and another, another thing, and, and let me just add a few points. Uh, you know, from this side of the table, um, as far as not being a black man but being a white man, sometimes we we see that in the church there is no prejudice. We treat one another as brothers and sisters. But when it comes to people outside the church, we may then raise our our prejudiced suspicions. Our, yeah. our fear, you know, we're walking down the street and a black man is coming toward us and we start feeling afraid because somehow we feel unsafe. It, it may not be something we're doing consciously, but somehow we've been educated or trained or, or taught that we need to be afraid that that person is a threat to us. And that's what happened to the young man that was jogging, 25 years old, he's jogging, he's black, and there happened, happened to be a black man uh, that was caught on camera. Um, he didn't actually even steal anything, but he was inside a construction site, and these two McMichaels thought he looked like the man 
because he's black, I guess, that was wandering around in the construction site. They chase him down in a truck and they pull a gun on him. And because he won't stop, they take him at gunpoint. They're going to make a citizen's arrest. And of course, he feels threatened. He grabs the barrel of the gun. The next thing you know, the guy shoots him. And, but probably much of that is based in this fear of someone who is of a different culture or a different color. Sometimes in the church, we can be that way when it comes to our brothers and sisters. We're all together, no matter what color, no matter what culture. But when we get out into the world, we can then begin to manifest that uh, prejudice. Not mm-hmm. wanting to, but it's there under the surface. We're talking about this, Light Point Church, because we want us all to be able to, to bring down whatever feelings of prejudice or discrimination or whatever that we have so we can deal with people as people and as individuals, no matter their culture, their language, their color. We're having this discussion so that we could look at ourselves and we can look at the world. We can look at our brothers and sisters and say, if they have experienced this, we don't want to minimize it. Uh, Calvin is telling his own personal stories I'll tell you what's happened a lot of times that I've seen as people begin to discuss this. They talk about it as if it's only in the U.S., it's not in Canada. We know that there are struggles in Canada. And as we talk about these struggles in the U.S., sometimes we want to minimize them and say, well, you know, they shouldn't be so angry, they shouldn't riot, they shouldn't. But really, we should be not talking about that so much, we should be talking about what is the underlying cause that brought some such anger to the surface. And, 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 and when we minimize what took place by highlighting the, maybe the, uh, the other conversation of, about the anger and the rioting and whatever, and we know that's not the correct and Christian way to handle stuff, but when we focus on that, when the subject of racism comes up, what we've done is we have minimized the experience that people have suffered as a result of being black or being from a different culture. And so I think, Life Point Church, we're having this conversation so that we can be aware and we can, we can have some sense that if we're white, we haven't experienced what everyone has experienced. And it's important that we are able to open up our mind and open up our heart to someone else's experience. Anyway, I'm taking too long. What's the next well, question? Well, that actually is a perfect well, okay. Kelvin. Yeah, I was just going to say, and just for people to know, this, this type of conversation should be led by the church because we have one father, one blood. We're from the same same Lord Jesus Christ. And if the church can't speak about it, who else can? The other thing we have to be uh, understanding about is the church dealt with uh, prejudice um, in the book of Acts. If you remember when Peter was hanging out with the Gentiles, when he got the revelation that the uh, gospel and salvation was for everybody. And then whenever the Jews came around, Uh, knowing that the Jews and the Gentiles didn't mix because of the cultural pressures at that time. Now, I'm not saying it's the same as racism now, but uh, Peter wouldn't sit with them or he wouldn't hang out with them until uh, other church leaders came and confronted him and said, hey, Peter, this ain't right what you're doing. So I look at this from a church perspective, uh, not from a media perspective, that the church is, it should be okay for the church to lead these discussions, have these discussions so that we can grow in not only more unity, but really for the greatest revival that I see happening in our midst uh, in this day. So I just want to add that one piece, uh, Pastor Adam. All right. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. And that was that that segment about the church and what pastor's previous comments, it, it leads us to to a, 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 our next question. There's been a lot of reference in the, the media to systemic racism, the word systemic racism. And, and that term can seem extremely confusing to people. Like, how can a system be racist? I, I'll, can't only people be racist in specific events? Let, 
let's explain what that looks like. What is systemic racism? And, and this is open to Kelvin or or Pastor. Let's let's talk about what that what that looks like. Have Kelvin go first. Kelvin. So uh, you guys can pull up the definition of racism and all that, read it. But what it looks like, um, let me give you the, uh, the other side of the coin. We know in corporate environments and also in law enforcement, and again, uh, we need law enforcement. My brother is a police officer. Uh, I have many uh, friends that are police officers, uh, black, white, uh, other. Um, but many of our uh, uh, organizations like that over the last several years have had a huge focus on trying to be more diverse in the workplace. They need looking for more visible minorities or looking for more women, et cetera, uh, because they understand that there's a system that's developed that only uh, takes into consideration the majority in that in, in that environment and the majority in this context being uh, uh, Caucasians, white people, et cetera. So those, uh, let's use the example of in the corporate environment. They say, we wanna open up more diversity so that more uh, visible minorities, black people, et cetera, can join these organizations and rise up amongst the ranks. They did that because systematically it was impossible or nearly impossible, regardless of the marriage, regardless of your accolades, regardless of who you are, to rise up in those ranks because there was people in those positions that would just not uh, uh, give you those opportunities. I'm in executive recruiting outside of pastoring and I see that often. So I, 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 know, I know exactly what I'm talking about. Same with law enforcement. Um, the way law enforcement is dealing with minorities, uh, they realize that they weren't maybe understanding people's backgrounds. They weren't understanding how people talk, how they approach things that they might even be scared or fearful of police. And I'm not talking about the US, I'm talking about Canada. So they would, especially in Ottawa, over the last 10, 15 years, have been super intentional about being diverse because they realized there was a problem in interactions between uh, Caucasian police officers and other minorities uh, that were in the city. So that was an example specifically of systematic racism where the system is set up that doesn't include uh, others that aren't a part of the majority group. I think one of the most profound definitions of systemic racism that I've ever heard came from um, a Pentecostal preacher. In fact, he has roots in the United Pentecostal Church, Bishop T.D. Jakes. And here's, here's what he said. He said, when we were all getting together or when people were getting together to talk about building a society, to talk about what it means to have a just society, what it means for everyone to be happy. You didn't include people that look like me. <laughs> and so, for example, you've got, you know, their famous documents that, um, you know, the, we, uh, the famous example is, uh, um, in, in the United States, I think it's constitution that all men are created equal under God. Well, at that point, if you were black, you were considered only three-fifths a man or three-fifths a person. So we believe that all men or all people are created equal under God. Well, as part of that dialogue, specifically, black people were excluded. So when we were talking about what it meant to have a just society, what it meant to have an equitable society, what it meant to have people thrive and to have thriving families and a thriving economy, and everyone gets an everyone gets equality of opportunity. We're not talking about equality of outcome. We're talking about equality of opportunity. When everyone gets a similar shot at life, there were people that were not part of the discussion, and we were only thinking about people that looked like us, the you know the majority culture. And I think that is a profound way to think of systematic racism. And I think it provides a really unique challenge to the church that as the church, when we talk about what's a revival church, what's it look like when um, the Holy Ghost moves? What's it look like when we see that flood of unreached and unsaved people come in? What does that look like? As a church, we need to have no exclusions in our mind of 
of color, of, of ethnicity, of culture or language, if they are in this region, they need to be in this church. So it's as a church, us, when we talk about what revival looks like, what a healthy home looks like, that we are including everybody. Pastor, do you have any thoughts you want to add to that before we go to the next? No, no, I think you guys have covered it. I think um, it is, it's systematic racism is, is about uh, not just the consciousness of an individual, but of a whole system that uh, excludes people of color or people from a different culture or a language. And uh, they can't break into it because uh, it almost happens kind of in the background of the minds of people. And uh, so you have to take action in order to break through that so that everyone, particularly in the church, so that everyone from every culture, language, and color uh, feels like they can be a member and they can contribute and they can be a part. And I think we all want to achieve that in uh in the united pentecostal church and we're working hard toward that we are we're running uh out of time but we i want to hit these last these last three questions before we go and and i hope everybody is looks like you're still hanging with us on the broadcast thank you so very much i know we're going a little bit longer than our normal online service let me tell you what there is there is so much intensity in our culture and tension and there has to be a voice that rings with hope, and there has to be a voice that rings out and addresses what's going on in our culture that has the name of Jesus attached to it. And there's nobody else but the church that has his name. And so that's why we're talking about this. Thank you for sticking with us. Thank you for the comments that are coming in and, and the, the hearts and the likes and all that kind of stuff. We really, really appreciate it. Here's an awkward question I want to pose to Pastor. That is... One of the things that I've seen, Pastor, is when we talk about this, is white people, white Canadians, let's make it specific, they get defensive. I was just thinking about that, and it's something maybe some people call white guilt. And I think what happens is when we talk about these things, Sometimes white people start feeling like, well, I'm not racist. Why? It, it feels like I'm being called a racist because of the color of my skin. Well, that's a whole other kind of racism too. But white people sometimes get defensive and they start minimizing. They start explaining away. They start, it's like we talk about um, George F Floyd yes. and somebody wants to change the topic and start talking about the riots. Well, that's a different conversation. Why are we changing the subject? This man died. He was treated like an animal on the street. And I, I think it's because we feel like we're being called racist if we're white when we talk about these things. Well, the truth is I'm not racist, but I know people are that are white. I know people are that are black. I know people are that are Hispanic. I, I'm not, I don't need to feel defensive because we are talking about racism that comes from white people and in a culture where the majority is white. We, those of us, and I think the majority of us, I hope all of us in LifePoint Church, we don't have to feel defensive. You don't have to feel defensive that we're having this conversation tonight because uh, unless you have these kinds of feelings in your heart and then we, you need to deal with it, talk with us, repent, talk to the Lord about it. But, but you don't need to feel defensive unless you have something that you should feel defensive about. We should be honest enough to recognize in the culture where people are sinners that racism and discrimination exists. And we should call it for what it is, no matter what the color of the people are, no matter what culture, language they come from. It is what it is. And we don't have to feel like the blame is on us if we're not contributing to the problem. And, and when we feel guilty and we start deflecting or excusing or minimizing or changing the subject, what we are actually doing is 
we're minimizing the experience that someone has had when they've been discriminated against. So we're actually, without really wanting to, we're contributing to the problem instead of the solution. We should, we should just be able to call it what it is. We don't have to feel like we're being accused of anything. And so I think that's where part of it comes from. The defensiveness comes from the fact that we feel like maybe we're being blamed when we've done nothing wrong. And we shouldn't feel that way. We shouldn't feel defensive. We shouldn't feel like we can't talk about this. Uh, this conversation shouldn't make anyone in LifePoint Church feel uncomfortable. I hope it doesn't. Because we are building a culture here where we're trying to make people feel valued no matter who they are and what they come from. And, and if we have some blind spots, if I have some blind spots as, as the pastor of this church, I, I want to know. I, I want to hear it. I, I want to... I don't want to have the way that I was raised or the culture that somehow I borrowed from the world and brought into my mind and it still exists and I'm living it here in the church. I don't want that to, to build a wall up between me and a brother or a sister um, that makes them feel uncomfortable because I'm blind or I'm ignorant. And so I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to uh, I want to be better at, a, in, at including people. And I don't want to feel defensive, and I don't need to feel defensive, and nor do any of you if you don't have these feelings in your heart. And so open up your heart. Open up your heart to your brothers and your sisters. Uh, spend some time with people from different cultures. Talk to them. Hang around with them. Get to know them. Break down the walls and the barriers, if there are any at all, so that we can really be the church that God wants us to be and make everyone from every tongue, every color, every culture feel welcome in the kingdom of God because that's what Jesus wants us to do. I was, I was thinking about Jesus right before he was crucified. It says he girded himself with a towel and he got down and he washed the disciples' feet. Yes, this is why we are not to be defensive on this topic. This is why we've got to approach this with a biblical lens as opposed to a political lens. If, if you are often the weird podcast and blog and alternative news land on this subject, you need to stop and you need to get in the word. Jesus was open and he washed the disciples' feet. And as Christians... When topics like this are raised, if, if you are a white apostolic follower of Jesus and the spirit of almighty God is in you and you are trying to live holy as he is holy, we should adopt a posture of openness and vulnerableness where we say, I am my brother's keeper. I am here not to be served, but to serve. And so if there's anything in my church in our world or in my heart that is ignorant or prejudicial or as pastor said Hallelujah. from the world mm -hmm. we don't be defensive right. we break out in our hearts the towel and the basin of water and we kneel down and we wash our brother's feet and we say how can i love and live in unity more with the body of christ than ever before. So I think we got to stop looking at these problems and these issues through the lens of politics and secular reasoning. You know, I, there was a, uh, uh, I won't tell you how I vote, but there was a newspaper where uh, a man wrote who was a leading political thinker that said racism doesn't exist in Canada. And that's <laughs> a paper I like. And I thought, no, you're wrong. I know you're wrong because there are sinners in Canada. Yes. And anywhere yeah. there are sinners, there will be things that need the blood of Jesus to wash out of our spirits. And so racism exists in Canada. Ignorance and prejudice exists in Canada because sin reigns and rules in Canada. So that's where, why we've got our approaches, not through politics, not, not through, not through uh, a, you know, a, a secular approach, but we've got to come with a basin and a towel. And we've got to adopt the posture of Jesus. And, and I'm with Pastor. If there's anything at any moment that I've done that is ignorant or prejudicial, don't hold that. Come and talk to us because we want this to be a church for every, for every.
everyone. We could all have blind spots in our heart and in our life. And we're all learning. We're on a learning curve. It doesn't matter if you're white, you're black, or whatever. You're Spanish. Um, we're all learning uh, how to um, mold together in the kingdom of God. And, uh, and so we can learn from one another. And uh, we invite, uh, we invite your, your assistance so that we can learn from you and you can learn from us. One of the things that, and this is the second last question, um, Kelvin, this is for you. One of the things you and I often talk about when the subject comes up, and, and, and we talk about it often, is the need to have empathy and, um, and, and to at least mentally walk a mile in people's shoes. And uh, so, so much of your story is different from my experience. And you've helped me understand yours. What are some ways that people in LifePoint Church can practice empathy and become more understanding um, of, of an experience that's different than their own? Right. Um, I think the first thing, uh, and I've had many calls during this time, uh, is just looking and seeking to understand and be we willing to kind of just learn what it's like. I, I, I found a quote the other day, I shared it with both uh, Pastor Shaw and Pastor Adam. It says, love is true when you can't see eye to eye, but you can still walk hand in hand. And whenever you, whenever the white community, and 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 I should have said this earlier, empathy, even, even my, my pastor that brought us to church when we were five, him going into a community where people didn't look like him, but he was just concerned about people being saved. Yes. That is empathy enough. He don't have to explain any type of, he didn't have to explain anything. He just said, you know what? I love you enough that even when I don't know you, and even when we might not share culturally, he was from Ohio, <laughs> we might not share things that are the same. I'm still going to reach out right to now. you. I hope he is. Uh, and my and my current pastor and I love them for that, because it was not about it, it was not about uh, race driven by politics driven by media and all that stuff. We know racism is real, but it was let me just seek to understand somebody. And you know what we find when we seek to understand people that there are more similarities among us than there are differences, and the differences that are there are things that we can celebrate. I want to celebrate. I, I told you I have Jamaican roots, African roots, and Canadian roots. I want to eat pizza on Friday, uh, fufu and peanut soup on Saturday, and jerk chicken on Sunday. I want to, I want to reach it all. I want to, I want to have everything. You're so going to have what you're going to have. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's another thing. <laughs> but just having that, understanding of other people means a lot and calls messages and as churches we stand up together even if you don't say anything if you just if people just know that you're there with them it means more than anything else we should probably yeah we have one more we one have last one more question. thing okay um and uh to before we hit that la that last one parents start talking to your kids about this we're having conversations with judah Start talking to your kids about treating everybody the same. I think that's so important. If we want this next generation to be different, that's one thing we, we have to do. Last question. We've touched on it, but this is where we're going to bring it home. And so, uh, uh, Calvin, I'll direct this towards you first. And then, Pastor, uh, you answer it and close this out. There are so many people speaking about racism right now, politicians, celebrities. Everyone is, is waxing eloquent and making posts. Um, and speaking in news conferences, why is it so important that the church speak out? What about us is so different from the rest of the world? Let's, let's close with that. Why should the church speak? What is, and speak to this, what is the difference that we are bringing to the table? I'll say it like this. Jesus is coming soon. And when we get to heaven, 
The Bible says that every that, that they won't be able to count. Look at Revelations 7 and 9. You won't be able to count the cultures, the backgrounds, the different people. We will be all there so much that you won't even be able to find it. And the reason why we need to speak up and speak out against in this time is it because it unites us. Unbelievably, it unites us. Our greatest history as the apostolics, Pentecostal apostolics, our thing that we point to the most is the Azusa Street Revival in the 1900s. In that time when the Azusa Street Revival was going on, there was black leaders, white leaders that were both men and women, black and white people that were uni unified together for a global revival. That was at the height of segregation. That was at the height of racism. That was at the, the peak of what we're even seeing a little bit, not a little bit, of what we're seeing today. I, I did some research around that time in American history. They had the most number of lynchings around the same time as the Azusa Street Revival. Their largest amounts of lynchings happened at the same time that we unified and let the Holy Ghost spread the gospel across the world. So I really think why we need to speak about it is because God is pushing us. I really feel this in my heart that God is pushing us to this end time revival that we're seeing. And we got to speak about it and then unite around, not only around this, but unite with this saying, you know what, no matter what nation or creed or color of skin that we come from, we are all one in Jesus Christ, one faith, one baptism, one Lord, one brother and sister in Jesus Christ. So that's why I believe the church needs to stand up and speak about this. And we can't shy away from these type of issues because Jesus is coming and he wants us all united. Hallelujah. I don't know if I can say anything better than what Calvin just said, but I can add to it this. When Jesus Christ started the church, it was a kingdom that was not of this world. All the things that we've been talking about, prejudice, racism, discrimination, all of those things based on culture, language, race, color, those are things of the world. Our color is something of the world. Our race is something of the world. And that doesn't mean we, we ignore it altogether. But when we become a part of the kingdom of God, wherever we come from, whatever the color of our skin, we become a part of something that is not of this world. It is Amen. a part of the kingdom of heaven. And in the kingdom of heaven, there is no black. There is no white. There is no uh, Hispanic. There is no French. There is no English. In the kingdom of God, there is only Jesus Christ and his bride. Amen. And so if the reason this matters is because he's coming back for a church that has no spot or wrinkle. It has no spot or wrinkle of discrimination or racism in it. It is unified. It is focused on Jesus Christ. It is not focused on the, the cultures and the things of the world, but it is focused on the things of God. And so it's important because we are, our minds have been renewed and we are focused on Jesus Christ when we're able to lay those worldly things aside. And, and all of these things are worldly that we're talking about. The mindset that creates this kind of discrimination is a worldly mindset. But when we have a heavenly mindset, we don't see, it doesn't mean we don't see someone as black, but we don't see them as different because they're black. We see them as a part of the kingdom of God. We see them as our brother, our sister, as the bride of Christ. And there's only one thing that matters for the bride of Christ, and that's Christ. That's Christ. And so I want to thank all of you for being a part of this discussion. We haven't done anything like this. We felt like it was important. We were, we were planning this long before um, the events took place. Uh, in the United States, but it simply said we need to pull the trigger on having this discussion. And so we're here tonight. We want to thank you for hanging around until the end. I'm looking at our numbers. This has been a, a bit of a longer night than normal, uh, certainly during the COVID-19 uh, 
services. But I want us to pray. I want us to pray that God would keep us unified at LifePoint Church and in the United Pentecostal Church. I know that all of us throughout the whole body of Christ are striving to be better at being one. And so I want you to join with me as we come to a close and pray that God would help each one of us to continue to build unity in the church, unity that just doesn't involve, uh, you know, not being angry with one another, but it has uh, the mindset that we're one despite our culture or our color or our language. And so join with me and pray and ask God to help us to be the church he wants us to be. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for the people that have joined us and for Pastor Calvin, Lord, as he has joined us tonight and shared his thoughts and experience. I pray, God, that your hand would be upon LifePoint Church and upon Stittsville United Pentecostal Church. That you, oh God, help us to be the people that you want us to be. That you, oh God, would move among us and bring us together like never before. That we would be a church, Lord, that, that reinforces and welcomes and includes people from every color and every culture. To reach out to our brothers or sisters in the church might have been, might have felt born, oh God, experiences in the world, and we would be there to strengthen them and to comfort them and to welcome them and to let them know that they are a part of the kingdom of God and they're part of our lives and that they are our brothers and our sisters. Bless your people tonight. Go with us, God, as we come to the conclusion of this service. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.